Well, aren't we blessed with wonderful worship ministry on Sunday morning and Sunday evening to uh, sing to the Lord and, and just um, couldn't help but almost be brought to tears with the words that we were singing of the goodness of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It is good to be here. We are in Matthew 4 this evening, and we'll be looking at the first 11 verses tonight. So last night, we went to the trellis outing, the college ministry outing, went bowling, had a great time. And uh, I mean, nothing really tests your sanctification and your, your spiritual walk with the Lord than some good competition. Um, we, I don't bowl very often, but when we started, I don't know where it came from, but I started off first, the first frame, a strike. It's like, okay. That's, that's, I don't think that's ever happened. Second frame was a strike. I'm thinking, wow, where's this coming from? And, you know, <laughs> I've only bowled a handful of times in my life, but I, I couldn't help but think in the back of my mind, what are the odds? What are the odds of bowling a, a perfect game? And uh, by my third frame, uh, I had Jonathan, uh, Josh, I think even my wife, maybe a little bit, Mariano, all heckling me. And uh, yeah, it didn't last. It only got to the second frame, and I was quickly humbled. Um, so how many times do we set high expectations for ourselves? Or, or maybe not even so much high expectations, but we, we say, uh, I want to do this, and I'm going to do this, just to find ourselves failing. Or... Maybe even more uh, humbling and, and, and real in our lives, we come to a point of being tempted to sin, to, to disobey our Lord. And unfortunately, we are sinners, not justifying our sin, but we are, and so we do, we do fail. And, and we, re, we ask God to help us. We ask the Lord uh, for strength. We repent. And we are confident we are in Him, not ourselves, but we are confident that we won't do it again, that we won't fail again, that we won't go back to that sin, that we won't slip up again, just to find ourselves later down the road, maybe even the same day, failing, not uh, having the, the hope that we had that maybe we could... Um, Fulfill, the, fulfill our word or be a people of our word to the Lord. Well, thankfully, we come to a text in Scripture in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4 where we, we encounter this passage with Jesus, and we don't have to worry about setting too high of expectations for Him. Um, if anything... If there are any expectations whatsoever, we always set low expectations for our Lord. And as you would guess, as we go through this text, we will find in this temptation, uh, this encounter Jesus has with Satan, he does not fail. But we are going to walk through this passage in Matthew chapter 4 and find that what we expect of Jesus in this text comes to fruition. He does not fail. He does not disappoint. We come to Matthew chapter 4, and I would consider this Jesus, uh, Jesus's second ministry assignment. Uh, the first one 
if you will, was last week, what we learned in the previous chapter, his baptism. He goes up to John the Baptist. John the Baptist says, I'm not worthy to do this. And Jesus tells him this is to fulfill all righteousness. And so he, he is baptized. And, and what does uh, the last verse in chapter 3 say? We'll go, we'll go ahead and go to verse 16. As Dr. Spavi uh, covered it last week, after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus hears these words from the Spirit of the Lord. And then we come to the next chapter in Matthew, and we see that he is immediately sent to the wilderness. Now, Matthew doesn't record it as immediately, but Mark does. Mark uh, chapter 1, verse 12, I believe, says that immediately, immediately after the baptism, Jesus is sent into the wilderness. So let's go ahead and read verse 1. We see that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. For what purpose? To, to preach, to start uh, preaching to massive crowds, to pick his disciples? No, to be tempted by the devil. To be tempted by the devil. It's interesting to note that in verse 1, it says the Spirit. He was led up by the Spirit. And Mark, in fact, uses uh, stronger language. He says, as I mentioned earlier, immediately, but as if the Spirit drove him into the wilderness, took him there. Matthew chooses the, the phrase, he was led up by the Spirit. So we see kind of a balance of the Spirit of God pushing him to do this, but also see the willingness of Jesus to do this. You see the Trinitarian role here of God, the Father's plan being brought to fruition, but we also see the Spirit leading him, driving him into the wilderness, and the submissiveness of the Son of God to do so. The harmony in that. He goes to this desolate environment, probably, arguably, one of the most desolate environments on the face of the earth, the wilderness. Dr. Spivey covered it last, last week, the significance of the wilderness, what that looks like, what, what that's about. But he's in the wilderness where pretty much the only indigenous life are snakes, scorpions, maybe a few uh, rabbits, vultures, dry, hot, not a pleasant environment. Mark records in Mark 1.13, he was even among the wild beasts when he was driven into the wilderness. So he's not in the greatest of places immediately after his baptism. And on top of that, he's going there to be tempted by the devil. Now, you might be thinking, well, I thought God doesn't tempt. Well, you'd be right. And you, and you said, well, I thought it says in James, uh, the first chapter, doesn't it mention that in the 13th verse, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. So what's this about Jesus being tempted in the wilderness? Well, we see, of course, God is fully, uh, Jesus is fully God, but we also know in this 
in his life, in his ministry, he was fully man. And God still uses Satan to serve his eternal purpose. I mean, you see that all the way back in Genesis. In our series, we've seen that happen. And so the same thing's happening here. So this isn't a contradiction. But not only has he led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and not only is he going to be tempted by the devil, what does it say in verse 2? After he had fasted, how long? He had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and then he became hungry, which that would be accurate. <laughs> Fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he became hungry. So he's in the mo most vulnerable position you could be in. There are other uh, men in Scripture who fasted 40 days. Moses, Moses fasted 40 days. Uh, Elijah fasted. We see Jesus fasting 40 days. So he's not... You, you, you think of Jesus, or I, I was thinking about this as I was studying. He's a carpenter's son. He was a carpenter, a hard worker, uh, walked everywhere he went. So this is a man, uh, the son of God is a man who is in shape. He is physically healthy, but fasting 40 days, <laughs> that would bring the strongest man to the verge, uh, uh, the verge of death, nearing death, being that close to death and being very vulnerable to just about anything, being in the wilderness on top of that. It's interesting, as I mentioned, that the Spirit led him there. And, and I don't want to uh, look into something into the text that's not there, but I think it is worth mentioning and worth noting that the Spirit, since, yes, he did lead, the Spirit of the Lord led him there, Jesus led him there, it's good to notice, it's good to note that, yes, God does lead us into things. Obviously, not to fail, I'm not saying anything like that, but God might lead us to places, and just because the Lord's leading us somewhere doesn't mean it's an easy place to go, doesn't mean it's an easy environment to be in. And that's why we also have to be careful a lot of times when, when seeking the Lord's will that, you know, it, it might not be the most easy of circumstances, the, the easier option, because it certainly wasn't for Jesus. But let's look at this first temptation that the devil, that Satan, the enemy, uses. It says, Matthew records in verse 3, And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Satan's smart. <laughs> the verge of starvation, Jesus is, is close to this, 40 days fasting, what's the first temptation he presents to him? Food. You haven't eaten in 40 days, and Satan has an answer to this predicament. But while we look at this and say, okay, he's tempting him with food to break this fast of 40 days, there's something deeper here. It's not just to break a fast, just, not just something to get Jesus to uh, end his 40-day fast. There's something deeper here that Satan is doing. What is he doing? He's trying to get him to doubt God's word. He's trying to get him to doubt uh, the trust of his father. Why? Because what did I just read just a few moments earlier? What was the last thing that happened in the third chapter before he, was, uh, before he had gone into the wilderness? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And what does Satan immediately say whenever he's tempting Jesus? If you are 
the Son of God. Now, this can also be translated, since you are the Son of God. I mean, either way, it's a degrading uh, address. It's to belittle him. It, it, he's trying to diminish his role. Because Satan knows who Jesus is. I mean, there's no doubt in his mind. Obviously, Jesus knows who he is. But Satan is trying to diminish him, belittle him, and, and jump on the first opportunity he can with the temptation of food in his most vulnerable state, saying, if you are the son of God, you're the son of God, you're all powerful, you're hungry, turn these stones into bread. What's wrong with that? What's the problem with that? If you're the son of God, if if (laughs) you're the redeemer of this world and, and you can do anything, you spoke the world into existence, Why do you have to suffer? Why are you in the wilderness these 40 days not eating anything, nearly starving yourself to death? Why should you be out here? And and this is no way that a father should treat his son. Just go ahead and turn these stones into bread. It's okay. Does this sort of sound familiar? Six months ago in our series, we were in Genesis 3. The first verse in Genesis 3, the serpent was more cunning than any beast in the field. And what did he do when he came up to the woman? He asked a question. What was that question? Did God really say? Same thing. Same thing. Did God really say, if you are the son of God, since you are the son of God, you're all powerful, turn these stones into bread. Why don't you, why don't you do that? It's the, the lust of the flesh that we find written about in 1 John. It's this lust of the flesh needing to eat, or with the woman, obviously, uh, before the fall, eating the forbidden fruit. But what was the response of Jesus? (laughs) We see in verse 4, he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He's basically saying, obedience over bread. I'm going to obey my father over my fleshly needs, over my fleshly uh, desires, over what I even need for uh, the very sustenance of my life. I would rather obey the word of my father. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Uh, when God showed Israel in the wilderness to depend on him, he writes, He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Jesus turns to Satan and he quotes, what does he do? He quotes scripture, quotes Deuteronomy. And he says, I'd rather obey my father than eat, than have my temporal needs met. He's saying, I feed and live off the very words of my Father, and that's my purpose. To fulfill, as we heard in last week and in the previous chapter, to fulfill all righteousness. Satan tempts him with the lust of the flesh, the, the, the needs of his flesh, and, and Jesus obviously passes that first test. But does Satan stop? Of course not. We move on. It says in verse... In verse 5, Then the devil took him 
into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, what does he say again? If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So the devil takes him up to the height of the temple, which it's interesting because Matthew's account and Luke's account switch the second and third temptation. Um, Obviously, this isn't a contradiction. It's just an interesting uh, note to ponder. But he takes him here and he asks the same question, or he, he presents him with a similar statement. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. So this, this time, Satan quotes scripture. What is he quoting? He's quoting from the 91st Psalm. And he quotes this, uh, this passage. It says in the 91st Psalm, verse 11, For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. He's quoting scripture. He's going toe-to-toe with Jesus, saying, If you are the Son of God... You're hungry, you're in this fast, you're in need. If God really cares for you, throw yourself down. Why? Because God is going to protect you. He's going to send angels. So throw yourself down, cast yourself down. They're obligated to catch you. You don't need to go through this. Why, why, why must you go through this? Just throw yourself down. Show me who you are. Show the world who you are by jumping off right here. The angels are going to catch you. (laughs) Once again, his response, Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written. Once again, it is written, answering him with the word of God. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. See, Satan quotes scripture. Jesus accurately (laughs) quotes scripture to him, back to him. Once again, he's quoting Deuteronomy. All of the temptations Jesus faced in this text, he's quoting from the book of Deuteronomy, and they're from the wilderness experience of the people of Israel. It's as if Israel's wilderness experience, that's what Jesus is in right now, and he's drawing from that experience. He's, he's drawing from the word of God, which get, is giving him life, and is is the power, honestly, against Satan is the very words of God. And so he says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. That is not what I'm here to do. I'm not here to um, show my authority in that way. I'm not here to abuse my power. We read that in Philippians chapter 2, how he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even to the death on the cross. So he's saying, I'm not going to use my authority in that way. And I'm going to answer my answer to you. My reasoning behind that is because you can't put the Lord God to the test. So Satan moves on and he has another trick up his sleeve. In verse 8, it says again, so for the third temptation, come to this finale in this passage. The devil took him to a very high mountain. And showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. In Luke chapter 4 verse 5 it says, In a moment of time Satan took him there and showed him all the kingdoms. Or all the kingdom. 
So he shows him this, and he said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Isn't that interesting? He shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world, the kingdom of the world. He says, If you fall down and worship me, I'll, I'll give this to you. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says that uh, Satan is the god of this age. There's other passages of scripture that allude to this that, that make similar statements. And so Satan is telling him, I'm the God of this age. I'm showing you all these kingdoms. If you just bow down to me, I'll give this to you. And, and not only that, as I mentioned earlier, why should you have to suffer? Why should you have to go through this humiliation to be exalted? I can exalt you right now and, and you don't have to suffer. Just bow the knee once. I'm not asking you to do it every day. I'm not asking you to tell anybody. I'm not going to tell anybody this. This is just between you and me. Just bow down real quick, and all of this can be yours. There won't be any suffering. You won't have to suffer. You won't have to go through this humiliation if you just bow to me quickly right now. I'll give this all to you without having to suffer. <laughs> What was Jesus' response? Go, Satan. Or, as the title is, and other versions put it, get thee behind me. Go, flee. Why? For it is written. I think this statement is probably, in my opinion, the most powerful statement in this text. It is written. It is written. It is written. Why? Because he's quoting Scripture when he's facing temptation. Jesus himself is. He says, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord, your God, and serve him only. I will not bow to you. I bow to no one. Why? Because I am God. You shall have no other gods before me. We were talking about the commandments this morning. Jesus definitely wasn't going to break a commandment. He says, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. What was the response of Satan? Then the devil left him. He left him. Luke mentions that he left him until an opportune time. So he leaves him. Does he come back and tempt Jesus with a similar temptation? Most certainly. We talked about at the end of the service this morning. What happened with one of his disciples? When Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm going to be crucified, it's the Father's will. What did Peter say? Peter, thinking he was helping out, saying, no, uh-uh, this is not going to happen. I will not let it happen, Jesus. I will not let you die. What was Jesus' response to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Why did he say that? It was the same exact temptation of, you don't have to go through this. Why are you putting yourself through this? Why are you putting yourself through um, the coming suffering that you're going to have to go through? Just don't worry about it. For, a, for an unworthy people, for people who hate you, for people who mock you, for people who disobey you, why are you putting yourself through that? So yes, he was tempted at another time, and Luke was exactly right. Satan did leave him, but until another opportunity came along. But I think it's interesting as well as we close in this passage at the end of verse 11. 
And the, de- uh, the devil left him, and behold, angels came to minister to him. I think it's interesting because Satan said, if you throw yourself down from this temple, angels are going to come and catch you. Jesus said, no, it is written, it is written, it is written. He resisted the devil. Once he left, then the angels came. They didn't fail him. That scripture was actually fulfilled. They came to minister to Jesus when he did the word of God. When he obeyed the word of God, (laughs) the scripture was fulfilled. It wasn't in the way that Satan was presenting it. It was whenever he did what God's word told him to do. The angels came to minister to him, and then he continued on. He continues down through his ministry. So why did this even have to happen? What was the purpose? Why, why in the world would Jesus put himself through this? Why would God the Father allow his son to go through this? Well, I mentioned it earlier, but mentioned it again. Genesis chapter 3, we have God creating humanity. He creates Adam and Eve, and he, gives, he assigns Adam the task to cultivate the garden. And he says, you can eat from any of the trees of the, of, uh, the garden except for one, but we know that he disobeys. And so Adam was faced with a similar trial, similar temptation, as was Eve, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. They failed. It's interesting if you compare the temptation of Adam and the temptation of Jesus, or compare and contrast, Adam had community, right? He was walking with the Lord, and who did he have? He had his wife. He had Eve. And isn't it, when we think of our, li- of our lives, when we're facing temptation, that's one of the huge benefits of community. Because we have brothers and sisters in Christ praying for us, lifting us up in prayer, uh, keeping us accountable to not stumble, to not sin. That is a huge benefit of the church, huge benefit of community, having people gathered around us, lifting us up in prayer. Adam had community. Jesus was alone. Adam was in the garden before the fall, had everything he wanted. He could eat anything except for one fruit. And Jesus was in the barren wilderness. He didn't have that. Adam was healthy. He could eat freely. He was, he was, it was before the fall. Jesus was on the verge of death from a 40-day fast. Adam had better circumstances and failed. Jesus had far worse circumstances, and he succeeded. Who's the better Adam? Who's the better Adam? Adam failed. Sin entered into the world. Since sin entered into the world, there was a, a, a need for this sacrifice. And yes, while this sacrifice of the spotless Lamb of God clears the sin of the world, the fact that there needed to be a sacrifice, yes, that clears sin, but a blank slate's not enough. We have to be righteous, and, and we're certainly not righteous, which is why Jesus came to this earth and had to suffer through that, had to face that. Why? To fulfill all righteousness, to live that sinless life, to face the temptations, because not only did he die for our sins, which it's important to emphasize that, but he lived 
for our righteousness. A righteousness we could not attain on our own. He is, as I mentioned, the true and better Adam. So what does this mean for us? How, how, how can we apply this? I think it, it goes pretty much without saying. The Lord understands and he cares. He's not this deity that is, is far off, who is not acquainted with our grief, not acquainted with our suffering. As it mentions in Hebrews, we read that he's not, uh, he, he's not misunderstanding what we go through. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but what? One who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. We have a high priest, an advocate, who has gone through what we have gone through without sinning. So you can never say, my God does not understand, because he definitely does. And we serve a Savior who came to this earth and defeated temptation by quoting the Word of God and being obedient to it. Think, in closing as well, it's, it's interesting, all of those temptations, he quoted what? From Deuteronomy. And when we read our Bibles, if we have quiet time, <laughs> and, and we come to Deuteronomy, a lot of times we come to those books of the Bible and we're like, what in the world? What am I going to get out of this? You know? Jesus defeated the enemy from the book of Deuteronomy, meaning every book in the Word of God has power, is inspired, and we can cling to His promises. And that's my prayer for us as Gambrel Street, and if you're watching online, that you can trust in the Savior who overcame the temptation of the enemy. And I pray that you will. Let's pray. Lord, as we have examined your word, we thank you that you've recorded this in Scripture, that you aren't a God who does not understand, who's some, someone far off in the distance who, who has no sympathy for what we go through. You went through not only what we go through, but so much more. It's not even comparable. But you went through all of that, yet without sin, so that you could be the perfect sacrifice to die for our sin and live for our righteousness. But not only that, you did it so that in our daily walk with you, as believers, when we are tempted, we can look to you and know that you understand when we come to you and ask for your help when it seems like we're at the end of our rope, when it seems like there is no hope for us to obey, when it seems like there is no way to carry on, we can go to you and know that you not only understand, but that you will be there and you will help us. And we praise you for that and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.